Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. My name is Derek Graham, and of course, I'm here, as usual, with my friend and colleague, Nitin Gower. Hey, Nitin. Hey, Derek. Glad to be here again. It's early in the morning. I'm, I'm in California this week, so looking forward to this amazing conversation with Ralph. Actually, my good morning, good afternoon, good evening is particularly pertinent because it's 5 a.m. where you are and it's <laughs> 8 a.m. where Ralph is and it's 8 p.m. where I am. So it's a typical yeah. international world. But that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. Just this international world being able to operate in a moneyed environment without the silos that we're so used to in these traditional exchanges and centralized institutional driven exchanges. And I'd like you to introduce Ralph for us. Hello, Ralph. And, uh, and Nitin, please take it away and introduce your, your yeah, friend, yeah. Ralph, and, and let's start this journey of, of talking about the money markets and what blockchain is going to do to them. No, absolutely. So first of all, a bit of history, right? I've, I've had association with Casper Labs for a long time through my IBM days. Amazing group of people, very innovative in terms of their thinking, not just from technology perspective, but also from understanding the financial markets and financial market mm. infrastructure and making that change from inside. So certainly a unique proposition, which we'll talk about. But Ralph and me, just like, you know, we've had many other guests in this conversation are some really high quality people I met at World Economic Forum, mm. where me and Ralph would get this conversation with minus 15 degrees outside for like an hour, which is like just only because it's such an engaging conversation. So Ralph, amongst many things, a rich background, he's enabling entrepreneurs, building the foundation of decentralized economy, a big believer in this ecosystem and what the changes brings about. He's also sort of ensuring the Switzerland's regulatory arbitrage and blockchain crypto persists, which means he's, he's in tune with what's happening around the world, starting from Switzerland. He is an independent board member of Casper Association, which we'll dive a bit deeper into. And again, he is mandate, as we both have discussed for over time, whenever we sit down, is building the future of capital markets. So Ralph, Thank you so much for coming on to the show and sharing your perspectives and looking forward to this you know, rich conversation. Probably won't be as engaging because it lasts for a couple of hours when me and Ralph meet, <laughs> but we have 20, 29, 30 minutes and we'll, we'll love to sort of capture all, you know, all we can. So Ralph, welcome to the show. Great, thank you. Thanks, thanks a lot for having me. So Ralph, earlier on, we were really talking about your journey towards Casper and the creation and your involvement with the Casper blockchain but also your passion towards looking at creating extraordinarily efficient money markets and extraordinarily efficient asset markets and your proposition that really at the end of the day, capitalism and money markets are about the transfer of valid providence of assets. You made the comment earlier on that this is the first huge jump in this space in the last 200 years in the, in the money market. How do you see that? Yeah, thanks. So, look, I would say we can go back 220 years. I can also go back to 60 years. You know, what I typically try to convey to the audience is that 
you know, blockchain is the single most important technology in finance since the introduction of computers in banks in the 1960s. Mm. And, and this is for many reasons uh, relevant because, you know, the efficiency and the transparency and the observability that blockchains bring to financial transactions and also financial instruments is really going to be a catalyst for efficiency and, and hopefully back office efficiency and also front office efficiency that is currently evading, you know, the, the financial, the financial firms, right? So, so that is, that is our hope. And, and also we are confident that we're building technology towards that at Casper. The, the other aspect of course, is what I think is important for the audience to understand is that I believe whoever gets this right for the first time in 220 years, that's what you were referring to. Someone can build a capital market that is so efficient and so relevant that it will compete with today's established capital markets locations in the world. And, you know, that, that is also a hope because it would lead to more democratization, more efficiency, lower costs, lower fees, you know, <clears throat> that capital will be provided in markets with more efficiency that typically have extremely high cost of accessing capital. And that, that is really, that is really what we are working towards. Hmm. You know, so, so, but, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I just want to actually double click on that, Ralph, and we've had some conversation on this, but when you look into capital markets, right, and sort of our modern financial market structure, essentially the chain of interconnected market participants that aid in accumulating capital and forming investment resources. Some of these market participants have specific functions, asset custody, I, I work for one of them, central bookkeeping, liquidity provisioning, clearing and settlement, and so on and so forth. And because these functions, there are capital constraints, there's regulation, the many of these are not vertically integrated by, you know, by, by, by design, which by prevents design, collusion yes. and, you know, and, and, and then you have the crypto capital markets. And we've looked into this from, at its peak was $3 trillion. And the vernacular is the same, there's lending, there's borrowing, all these financial primitives, but the market infrastructure is completely different. And so love to get your thoughts on, and blockchain is still underlying tech. And so while there is this crypto world evolving with crypto assets, which are governed by crypto economic systems, I see that as, you know, all that you say that, hey, this can really change the world, which, you know, it is in many ways. But then you also have this conversation, which is also using the underlying blockchain technology is tokenization of real world assets. And the appetite to change that market infrastructure, which is the role of these participants, for all the same reasons that has evolved over the 200 years that you, that you mentioned, again, to prevent collusion, to prevent, you know, the design that it's, it's, it's come to be, where do you see the distinction between those two? Where do you see, is the, are they on the collision course or are they on convergence? I'll pause here and get your thoughts on that. All right, great. I think it's important to quickly define a few terminologies. So first of all, payments is not finance. And I would posit that payments is solved, right, in, in the world, in today's economic world. Just because, just because cross-border payments are expensive to execute doesn't mean that the technology is not there to make it really efficient, right? We have, we have market distortions here, not just regulation, but you know, private equity firms that own 
some of the most important infrastructure providers in cross-border payment settlements, et cetera, you know, and banks, they have interests in keeping this expensive since they want to make money. But payments largely is solved. So let's turn to finance then. But then what is finance? At its core, you know, finance is the exchange of cash flows between two parties, right? So I give you money today and you give me money back over time. That is finance, right? And finance remains finance, whether it's centralized or decentralized. Now in this decentralized world, so in, 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 in the, you know, in this blockchain-based financial world, I would say we have to make one more distinction. I'm not really talking here about the asset class, right? So I'm, I'm not, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum and cryptocurrencies are, are their own asset classes, right? And they, and they power economic systems, you know, that will hopefully replace, you know, certain market participants and certain, you know, and, and, and be very efficient, you know, uh, conveyors of, of, of value, so to speak. So I'm not necessarily talking about, you know, an, an investment in the asset class. I'm talking about the function of finance, right? So what we would see in an Aave, collateralized lending, you know, or, or stable coins, et cetera. So when we look at the, the, the functions that currently exist in these decentralized environments, right? All we can see, maybe that's a bold statement. I would say almost all I can see, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be educated, this collateralized lending is over-collateralized lending. Right. Mm. So, so, so somebody, you know, posts something and, and if the value decreases, you know, there's a margin call and you're wiped out or, you know, you can get it back. Right. So, so that's really all I see. I'm not sure whether you see other applications, but that's what I see. And over collateralized lending, let's be clear in the real world is tiny. You could argue that mortgages are over collateralized as well. You know, I would mm. say that's, that's maybe, you know, so, but, but in general, right. Finance is about unsecured or you know undersecured credit and cash flows over time. And decentralized protocols currently have a hard time in dealing with cash flows over time, which is the only which is why the only application that, that I see of relevance in decentralized finance is over collateralized lending. And you know, so that tells me that. The function of finance, so on the collateralized lending, cash flows over time, is not very well administered in this world. And I would posit, I would, I would also propose that that's the case also in the centralized world. Yeah, it's easy to raise a hundred million dollars for a large company. It's very difficult for like the you know the pizza shop at the corner to raise seven thousand dollars to replace the oven that is broken. Right. Mm. So. So there is a problem to be solved. And, and my hope is that we can, with this technology here, we can solve that problem, right? Maybe this will be a cultural thing too, to see a change because these pooled fund environments, public gatherings of investors to invest in a single entity has happened so many times around the world. We keep forgetting some of the great structures and I'm gonna say a couple of them, the Sydney Opera House natural fact was a was a pooled fund and it was generated by the tax lotto system in new south wales and the sydney harbour bridge had a certain pooled fund to it what's intriguing about our consideration of mortgages these days is that they all come against a registered mortgage on the house lent against your cash flow of income from a singular bank or maybe two 
Whereas maybe 200 years ago or more, they probably came from your relatives and friends. They were prepared to lend you a little bit of money so that you could buy your first you know, piece of farmland or equivalent. I would imagine that one of the technologies associated with blockchain is the ability to fractionate out a loan in, in a collateralized environment where many people can decide to lend money and have a secondary market for it, in which case that would circumvent the need for centralized banks. Do you see that as going to be a progressive thing that the blockchain is going to be able to enable? Well, I'm a big fan of revenue-based lending because in the end, most of what we do is revenue-based lending you know, at different levels. But if, if you want to have revenue-based lending and an extremely high degree of automation, which is more or less what you just described, mm. you, need to have you need to have a granular understanding of the cash flows that are generated by the underlying asset. And only if you have that, and only if this cash flow is, you know, delivered to you, the understanding of the cash flow is delivered to you, and also the expectation of the cash flow going forward is defined in an algorithmic way, right? You can you can deliver this kind of efficiency. You need to have a granular understanding of each of the obligations that lives inside, you know, these pools of assets, in order to be able to securitize. Uh, at a high degree of efficiency. And this is one of the reasons why what I just described before, it's relatively easy for a large company to raise $100 million you know, on credit on its balance sheet. And it's very difficult to do that for, a, for, you know, for the pizza store at the corner that needs to you know, make some small investments because, because you know, only in a pooled environment, this pizza store will get money from, right? Nobody will take mm. this directly. It's too much risk. So then you need to have large pools of such assets and you need to have a really granular understanding of the cash flows that flow into and flow out of, right? So, so that's, that's what I'm convinced about and that's what we're, that's what we're working towards here. Mm. Well, I yeah. hope you yeah, see so that that will work from, from the point of micro lending to countries such as Africa, where they really are looking at utilizing blockchain to usurp any government interference on the way through and provide micro lending yes. to the end all the way through to commercial bonds there at the end of the day i guess the prime determinant is the crystallization of the asset and the cash flow at the beginning and the end yes. of the loan correct and during the period as well and you need to have a deterministic understanding in order for machines to understand these cash flows you need to have a deterministic standardized description and definition of these cash flows and, you know, so that is my hope, right? So you take real finance. So this is what we are doing with, with our clients and with the project to so take real finance, which is a machine readable and machine executable term sheet, which gives you a, 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 a clear understanding of the cash flows and the payment obligations of the parties. And you combine it with blockchain. And what, what, are, what are the unique features of blockchain? They are observability, verifiability, Right out of the first two, you'll get enforceability, and then the last one, and this is I'm quoting Nick Sabo here. It's is privacy, right? So, so this is the unique feature of blockchain. And when you combine finance with this aspect, what I've just described, then you know what what we call you have a smart financial contract that lets you actually administer, you know, on a granular level at any aggregation, you know, that you would like uh, from a portfolio point of view assets and cash flows, cash flow producing assets, right? I'm, I'm mostly concerned about cash flow producing assets. And then of course, as you described, 
real world asset tokenization. So here, what I just described is cash flow tokenization, right? So we are we are tokenizing, you know, the future cash flows of a financial asset here. And then, of course, the beautiful thing about blockchain is you can also represent the collateral on chain. And then, of course, there the question is how well is it rooted in the real world, right? So how well is the title secured? Let's assume, you know, we have an instrument that lives in a DLT or on a blockchain-based environment that is secured by a house. You know, how good is the house described, you know, on-chain? <clears throat> how, yeah. how secure is the title, you know, in the chain? So there's a number of problems to be solved, which, by the way, in my opinion, is why real-world asset tokenization hasn't taken off yet. And which is why it's easier to tokenize cash flows, in my opinion. But, but you know, so this, this so this tie into the real world is a little bit more complex than the tie into a payment stream that can be observed, you know, with an API or through a bank account, if you ask me. Yeah. So one thing, Ralph, in this, and and I do agree with you in terms of your comment, your comment, Mar Dubé, or real world assets. So as as you're describing this, right? To me. I go back into the revenue-based structures that you talked about. The fact that our entire financial system base is based on at the, at the end of the day, people are doing business and they produce revenue and the business requires capital. This is typical sort of you know capital deployment, capital efficiencies that go in the market. And I see the role of blockchain as sort of modernization of that, whether it's global reach, whether it's access mm -hmm. reduction, reduction and transaction cost, transparency, accessibility, and all those things. I don't think it necessarily solves which is where I think the conversation on real world asset becomes interesting and challenging where there's an expectation that suddenly you have liquidity injection because you have blockchain. And I've always contested that whole thing that you don't necessarily get liquidity just you because don't. you're tokenizing something. There has to be a business no. imperative. So going back to your assertion, I'm assuming you're, you agree with that, but, but the thing is that you talk about smart contracts and codification of these things and maintaining the smart contracts because at the end of the day block bitcoin helped us envision the new financial system ethereum introduced programmability of, of as simple asset transfer and that's where things become quite complex now with financial primitives for the application let's dive dive a bit deeper into what we use and i know we've had this conversation in context of actors and and how do you sort of define those primitives into this codification of smart contract that makes these real world asset more efficient because I'm in a conference today and I may have to bring this up as well to say, hey, how do we really bring the real world asset to a tokenized form in a meaningful way as opposed to, which is not the case, the burden of legacy is not the problem of digital native assets. It's only the issue of real world assets. Yes, yes. So, well, thanks for that, that lead. So look, as I said, we at, at Casper, when we built something in finance, we built everything on the ACT, what we call the ACTUS standard. The ACTUS is, is, is stands for Algorithmic Contract Type Unified Standard. So this standard basically describes payment flows of financial assets, right? So if you have a bond, if a bullet bond, if you have an annuity, if you have a negative amortizing annuity, etc. So we are, you know, at Casper, we're building everything on this standard. And and we believe it's the right way to go. By the way, not just Casper is building on this standard. Cardano has also implemented parts of this standard. Certain people in the Ethereum environment are, are building on this standard. So the standard is the result of the financial crisis in 2008, when some really intelligent people got together and said, we knew we didn't know anything, so we have to change this. And we need to bring transparency to the cash flows on a systemic level, right? So 
<clears throat> so that's what we're building on. It solves many problems. One of the most important problems on a firm wide level, it solves the problem of reconciliation, you know, of, of calculations. And, and in a con in a machine-based environment, right? The reason why we're building on an open source standard is we want to have asset interoperability, right? So it doesn't matter where the asset's gonna live. If the asset lives on Cardano and the asset lives on Casper or another asset lives on Casper, we need to be able to compare these two assets, right? If it's a bond lives on Cardano or a bond lives in a, by the way, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be on blockchain. If the bond lives, you know, in DTCC and if the bond lives, you know, in a Morgan Stanley, you know, or in a, in a bank's, you know, lifecycle management system, ideally they're identical, right? <laughs> and hopefully they're also lifecycle managed identically. The reality is they're not, which is why we have these reconciliation problems, which is why we have these systemic crises from time to time, because people disagree on what certain values are on, you know, individual firms' balance sheets, right? This is what happened in 2008. This is what happened, you know, just now again, right? So this is why banks go under, because people do not agree on what kind of value can be ascribed to assets that are on these balance sheets. And one of the reasons why they can't do that is because they don't agree on how these assets are calculated and what the future cash flows are. Anyway, so that that is my opinion, and this is what we're trying to solve, right? So, so is so, it then fair to say yeah. that? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Finish your talk. To, uh, no, no, that's it. So. Yeah, is it then fair to say, for example, interoperability? Right? You bring it up, and it's super important because that problem is still not solved, and you have chain links of the world who are being the oracles, trying to broker that data movement from the real world to the to you know blockchain world. And of course, you have the cryptographically verified, you know, verified movement of assets, where an asset every time an asset moves, it has a crypto, you know, you know, verification using the consensus mechanism and using the cryptography that a specific blockchain has. So it's then fair to assume that what you're trying to do with Actus is not so much as verification of the asset as it moves around the system, but also verification of the asset class in the sense that what is the residual, for example, cash flow of that particular asset, or what is the sort of total valuation of that asset, which is which is different contextually from verification validation that's cryptographically provided by a blockchain. So they go hand in hand. They don't necessarily replace the interoperability of asset movement from one chain to another chain. Is that the right way to think about this? Yes, this is the right way to think about it. So look, in a in a in a in this decentralized environment, it's easy, right? Bitcoin is Bitcoin. And you know, if I borrow Bitcoin, you know, it's Bitcoin, right? So if I move around. So so that's one. Uh, but in a financial asset environment, right? And what is a financial asset? A financial asset is a stream of cash flows, right? I'm buying a stream of cash flows when I buy an asset, when I buy a financial asset. It's a financial contract. When I, or it could be a commodity too, but let's stick with streams of cash flows. That's a bad credit instrument. I think the what the industry doesn't understand yet, and, and I think this is where we are heading down a a potentially more problematic path is when you think about delivery versus payment environments, right? In, in, in traditional capital markets, everybody wants to use blockchain in delivery versus payment environments because it removes the counterparty risk. That's true, right? Because you can see the cash is there. And when I'm bringing you the security, I can ensure that I get the cash, right? Because it's there, it's an ideal collateral. I can make it automatic. That's all great. And there's a lot of merit to fixing that and it needs to be fixed. However, what I'm saying is if you do not know what you're taking delivery of, then, you know, that alone, the fixing of the, of the payment leg is not the sole 
important aspect here, right? So think about back to 2008, right? Many people had a lot of assets on their balance sheet. Nobody wanted. Why? Because they didn't know what was inside. Not that they knew what was inside. They knew it was probably not worth a lot. But that doesn't mean that there was nothing in it that was relevant, right? So this is the problem. So we need to fix first. I mean, not not first, but you know, we have to also do the the payment leg, uh, you know, with CBDCs or you know, or payment, you know, or JP Morgan coin, right? Settlement coins, etc. Commercial bank money. That I, I don't dispute the relevance of the, of those of those experiments, POCs, and also and also systems that are being built. My concern is the content of what is being settled, right, in a DVP environment, needs to be understood on a near automated basis so that we can make better and educated decisions mm. on what on what actually we take right in this environment when you think about the financial asset right so mm. and and specifically if these portfolios are complex if these portfolios contain many different you know cash flow streams you need to have a standardized way of looking at these cash flows and certainly in machine based environments that is important right today nitin knows better than many people when you look at the plumbing of the financial system, right, there's a lot of manual intervention at many, many points in time. And in blockchain-based environments, you cannot have any manual intervention, right? Mm -hmm. Either the stuff is right or the stuff is not right. And if it's right, you know, then settlement happens. If it's not right, then settlement doesn't happen. Then you need humans again to intervene, right? And, and only if you're building on, a, on an algorithmic standard we believe in financial environments, you can actually achieve this kind of efficiency and this kind of congruence and consistency in expression of future cash flows. Mm. So we've been we've been playing around with some dates. You talked about 220 years ago. I talked about 1641 <laughs> being the period of equities and the first equity market. Let's go back a bit further. You know, the the wonderful Medici family of course, create a double entry bookkeeping system. No, they didn't. They utilized it. Double entry bookkeeping was created yes. earlier on, but it was it was actually documented during the Medici family's period of time in yes. the 1400s. And, and that double entry bookkeeping system essentially has been the prime accounting system we've used ever since. One could argue yes. that blockchain will replace double entry bookkeeping system without any institutional audit or auditing requirement on the way through. And it can do that with the utilization of additional smarts like smart contracts and executable contracts along the way. What is so obvious is what you're saying here is yes, it can do all of that, but this isn't double entry bookkeeping system and doesn't have an institution. It's an automated, it's an automated smart contract environment. We've got to set a new set of requirements, regulations and standards to feed this double entry bookkeeping system replacement. So that now takes over for the generations to come. And, uh, and that makes good sense. Now you sit on Casper as an advisory member of Casper and are active in Casper as a blockchain. Casper is quite a substantial blockchain. I mean, it's capitalized at about 650 million. I look today, it's got about 35,000 holders and it's turning over a decent amount of money, about 20, 20 million a day in trading. That's just the, the color of trading, but it's got about 1600 developers. I understand and it's got dozens of dApps. But Casper's got some special features to it. How do you see Casper sitting into this, this puzzle of, of solving, you know, validating of, of transactions and, and, and validation of assets? So what is different with Casper than other, you know, blockchains? So the founders of Casper, you know, set out to build a chain that 
they would have used in an enterprise technology environment. And so that was their goal when they started more than four years ago. This was expressed, <clears throat> and more than four years ago, this was an odd choice. You know, the most obvious expression is the choice is the choice of Rust as a programming language. So at the time mm. when they started out, right, many projects choose to use their own language or develop their own you know, taxonomies and, and, and also languages, programming languages, which I think is a mistake, but the time will tell. So, so that is one aspect. The other aspect is that, you know, they looked at this and they said, look, software wasn't built a soft, what, show, what the last 30 years or 40 years of software development show is that software development is incremental. We need to have an opportunity to change how the system runs in the future, which means that Casper was built modular from the beginning, allowing for certain pieces to be changed, uh, you know, as we go along. So, you know, one example is consensus mechanism. We can swap out consensus mechanism at any given time, which we have which we're actually doing now. So, so there will be a different, there's currently a different consensus mechanism being, being developed and tested in testnet than what we currently have. Another area is account management and contract management. So, you know, you can change certain building blocks and modular parts of the, of the blockchain independently from other aspects. And specifically around account management and contract management, the concept of weighted keys and you know who has access to what and how certain items can be changed or cannot be changed mm. is kind of innate in you know in the thinking of technology executives i would say you know that deploy technology right so we have to have appropriate controls and we have to have means of changing these controls and casper set out to do that so so we have weighted keys. You can assign any kind of key management and, and it's, it's native to the chain. It's on the layer one, which is very different than most other environments where any kind of access control or, you know, or, or changeability of smart contracts, for example, is not on the layer one, but it's then inside, you know, the software, whatever that you're building on, onto the layer one. So, so this is quite unique. Let me think maybe one other aspect that is relevant is that we're, we're obviously we're trying like so many other people to come to certain fixed gas fees you know for certain transactions yeah. so predictability yes. of gas fees is a big is a big topic we're not quite there yet but we think we have some technically really interesting opportunities and that is why so some of these aspects that i just described is why technology partners and also firms, you know, choose to build or start building on Casper, right? Because they can see and recognize, you know, good software development practices in our technology, which kind of lets them believe that they, that they can build their applications on top of, and they can actually change the business logic as is yes. needed going forward. Which is terribly important. We, as you say, software is iteration and, and business changes. And you would expect on a regular basis over over four or five year period of time that, you know, organizations that are deploying their, you know, the crystallization of their assets on a blockchain are going to want to start changing their smart contracts to evolve with whatever is available. I mean, really, in the last four or five years, we, we, we've seen the creation of non-fungible tokens or so the terminology of them, at least. 
and we've seen DeFi come to fruition. We've seen so many things that couldn't have been predicted easily at that time. Having a malleable, changeable blockchain that you're talking about, you know, it just makes total sense. You know, forking the blockchain is going to be a challenge and shutting down tokens and restarting them would be a challenge too. So it makes good sense that, right. that you've created something with sort of flexibility. Look, we've, we're getting to the end of our, of our time. It's, it's fascinating because I can see why Nitin and you spent an hour and a half, apart from the fact you probably needed to be inside. It was cold outside, but having a conversation around, around finance and around, around your views of how finance is, is now operating and how it's, it's not just transferring across into, into digital assets in a digitized form. I heard the statement we mentioned it last time that Gary Gensler made when he was getting interviewed <laughs> by Congress. And it was, it was funny to absurd when he turned around and said, I've got digital assets, I have digital bank money and I have digital shares. And, and I rudely described it as, as, as putting bionic eyes on a dinosaur. And, <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm hoping that this new set of standards you're thinking of here will, will be able to make people realize that from the ground up, this needs to be reconsidered, including all of the mechanisms of how, how the standards are implemented and how they're deployed. And, and Ralph, I, I really appreciate you joining our show and Nitin, thank you so much for bringing Ralph along. No, Ralph, I, I echo Derek's sentiments. Thanks again for your time and expertise. We could go for hours. And I think we should make Ralph as one of the regulars of every you know, oh, dosage yes. of reality yeah. of what needs to be done. So thanks again for your time and expertise, Ralph. And I'm sure I'll see you soon, if not here, then in Zurich. Thanks a lot. Appreciate that. Ciao. Bye for now. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week.